Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of musicians and instruments and just how wonderful that sounds. We thank you, God, that you've taught us that we can combine truth with those and now we are stirred in our hearts to love you and look to you. Thank you for that. God, thank you for Joe and for those that serve with him in leading us. God, we thank you for Sunday mornings. We're glad to be here. And now we turn to your word, Lord, and as we open it, we ask that you would teach us, speak to us, turn the light bulbs on, open our hearts and minds that we would, we would get it, that we would know you and believe you. Father, we pray today you would do that work. From Mark chapter 14, in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you would, turn to the Bible to Mark chapter 14. We're going to continue right along. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there. It's page 935 in that black Bible. We are at Mark chapter 14. And as we saw last week when Josh Womble preached, uh, we have turned a corner in the gospel. If you've been around our church long enough, several years ago I preached through the whole gospel of Luke, and that took us a long time. And we've seen many of the similar, similar themes that we are now seeing in Mark as we're walking through Mark. You know that so much of the gospel, uh, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is Jesus' ministry. And you see Jesus doing this, you see Jesus doing that, you see him going here, going there. You see him teaching and, and preaching and doing all the things that Jesus was doing. And then at some point in the gospels, and it's different in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in each of those, but at some point, the time now comes. And Josh Womble made this point very clear last, last week when he said, it's now the right moment. You remember last week, Josh Womble said that we had the right moment, the right motivation, and the right man. The right moment means it's now time for Christ to die. The right motivation was they were trying to kill him to get rid of him, but there was the motivation of God, the right motivation to kill him for the sins of the world, for our salvation. And then the right man is that it had to be Jesus. It had to be Jesus who could die for us. The right moment, the right motivation, and the right man. And that's where, we're at, that's where we are now in Mark chapter 14. We're at the right moment. Jesus' teaching ministry in so many ways is, is over. That Mount of Olives discourse that we saw in chapter 13 is finished, and now Jesus is headed to the cross. We are there. We are in his final days. He's about to die. Now, it's awesome because Mark puts uh, three whole chapters to this end part, and even this chapter we're at right now, 14, is a really, really long chapter. If you'll just look at it, today, we, last week we covered verses 1 and 2, and today we're going to look at verses 3 through 9, but there's a lot, a lot in chapter 14. Look at that. It goes on to 72 verses. We might be in Mark 14 until Christmas or until 2018. I'm not sure. There's a lot here, and... We're thankful for that, but Mark is wanting us to show, Mark is wanting to show us just how important it is, Christ crucified. The Bible's emphasis on the death of Jesus cannot be understated. Your focus on the death of Christ cannot be too great. You need to be somebody who is trusting in the work of Christ, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, 
and Jesus' resurrection. That needs to be your identity. Our identity comes from what we prioritize or what we value or what we emphasize with our lives, and, and you get that. If your family is important, then you spend a lot of family time or you do a lot for your family. They are always before you. If, if being fit or being healthy is important to you, then you spend a lot of time focusing on that with how you eat or how you exercise or how you take care of yourself, then that's important. If money is important to you, then you work all the time trying to get more and more money. If God is important to you, if God is your priority, then it will be seen and it will be evident in our lives. Jesus once said that you will know a tree by its fruit. You can tell when it's an apple tree, when there are apples hanging on it, nobody questions a tree that has apples hanging on it, what kind of an apple it is, and so it is, or what kind of a tree it is, and so it is with those who love Christ. When somebody truly loves Christ, he is a treasure to them. He is a prize to them. He is a Lord and Savior to them. And you can see that in their lives. Sometimes it's by their joy. Sometimes it's by their peace. Sometimes it's by their devotion. Sometimes it's by their service to their church. Sometimes it's by their uh, knowledge of the Word of God or commitment to knowing the Word of God. Sometimes it is their uh, love for their brothers and sisters. Sometimes it is their sacrifice for those around them. Sometimes it is their hatred towards sin in the world. Sometimes it is sin towards their own uh, sinfulness. We could go on and on with marks of uh, love and devotion to Christ. But my point is, when somebody loves the Lord Jesus, it is obvious that they love the Lord Jesus. He is invaluable, we might say. There is no price tag, there is no money amount on how important the Lord Jesus Christ is to us. The Bible teaches us time and time again that there's coming a day for every one of us when we will stand before God in judgment and we will have nothing with us. We will not be able to say, but what about all this? What about all these treasures? Or what about all these trophies? Or what about all these acknowledgments? Or what about all these degrees or accolades? Or what about this smile or these looks? Or what about these muscles? Or what about these clothes? Or what about these children? Or what about my wife? We won't be able to say any of that when we come before God. It will be about us and him, our sinfulness. It will be about holiness. It will be about righteousness. It will be about uh, those sort of things. It will be about have we loved him? It will be about do we get him? Is he everything to us? Mark does something masterful here. We know that the uh, biblical authors are inspired by God and so God's the master writer behind all of the scriptures, and yet we still are amazed at just how beautiful they are. Mark turned the corner last week at chapter 14, and it is now time for Christ to go to the cross, 
And yet, right before we get moving with that, and we are really about to get moving with that, verse 10, Judas betrays Jesus. Verse, verse 12, it's the Passover. Verse 22, it's the institution of the Lord's Supper. Verse 26, Peter denies him. Verse 32, Jesus is praying and they come and get him. Verse 43, he's arrested, he's betrayed. Verse 53, he's now on trial Verse 66, Peter does deny Jesus. The time before was the prediction of that. Now Jesus before Pilate in chapter 15. Pilate delivers him up in chapter 15. They are mocking him, spitting on him in chapter 15. He is literally nailed to a cross to be killed in chapter 15. He dies in chapter 15. He's buried in chapter 15. It's about to get very, very intense. And you know that. We've been telling you that. We told you that last week. I'm telling you that again today. But Right here in verses three through nine, we've got a little, a little commercial, a little side story, if you will. That's remarkable. Read with me in verses three through nine. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scalded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What a neat story. Jesus at a man's house, reclining, having dinner, and it's interrupted by a lady who comes in so prizing the Lord Jesus, so knowing his worth, that she takes something very expensive and anoints him with it, pours it on his head. Now, I know that sounds very odd to us in this day. Nobody has ever poured anything on my head. Uh, it's never happened to me before. It's definitely never happened to me at a guest's house before. But times were different then, and things were different. They didn't shower every couple hours like we do, and uh, anointing people was something that was somewhat uh, uh, common. They, they would do this to make sure they smelled good and uh, there, there are different things that we could say about that. It is a unique setting, but we don't want to miss the obvious here. This lady poured out something very, very expensive. Now, Mark tells us about it right here in chapter 14 towards the end, and it, and it says uh, that he was at Bethany. You have these stories like this in, in all the Gospels. I just read to you, or, or actually Austin just read it earlier from Matthew about this. And that was at chapter 26. And it says, in two days, Passover is coming. That's what we read. Matthew tells a story like this, where the lady breaks the ointment on Jesus, pours it out. Mark tells it. Luke chapter 7 tells it, but it says he's at a Pharisee's house. 
John chapter 12 tells it, seems to be the same story, but it says it was six days. Several different accounts. In many ways, they're very similar. A lot of the same things are being said, but there are some differences. In John, it's at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. We know them. They're friends of Jesus. He loves them very dearly. But in Luke, it's at a Pharisee's house, which is different. Some people think that it's all the same story being told just from a little bit of a different angle, but there's some differences that are so big that it's hard to put it together, like two days and six days. I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer. I just want to point out to you all that it's told many different times. I think more important than the day or, or, or even the setting is that we understand what's happening here. And this is most clear, I think, in Mark because there's such little detail. What we have here is Jesus at Simon the leper's house. Leprosy is a very serious skin skin disease. If somebody had this skin disease, they're not allowed to be around other people. They would not have been around other people. And so we, we almost certainly need to know that this Simon has been healed of his leprosy. He no longer has leprosy. And so now he's fine, but he's still known as that guy. That's Simon the leper. That's the guy that used to have leprosy. This must be what it is. There's no way in the world there'd be a group of people hanging out at his house, having dinner with him if he had leprosy. He would have to be uh, like an outcast. But that's the setting. And they're there, and that's his name, And then this woman comes up, and it doesn't tell us who it is. Again, some of the other texts say who it is if if it's the same story, but Mark doesn't. It just says a woman comes. And it's not oil, it's, it's it's a nard. It's something totally different. And it's very costly. Mark says that, very, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head When she did that, they were upset about it. There were people there, others there, and they were indignant, and they said, what a waste. They said it was a waste. Why is she wasting the ointment like that? And then, of course, in their their self-righteousness, they think of all of these ways that money could be spent better, right? It says here that it was 300 denarii, and that could have been given to the poor. I mean, there's so many better ways that we can spend our money. Don't we hear those excuses all the time about everything? You know, every time I go to uh, eat at Texas Roadhouse, I'm reminded of how many times I could eat at Taco Bell for the price of Texas Roadhouse. Should I never go to Texas Roadhouse? And that one time that I got to take my wife to Ruth Chris, albeit from a gift card that was given to us, I couldn't stop thinking about the 20 times I could have gone to Texas Roadhouse for the price of Ruth Chris. I wouldn't have traded it in. That Ruth Chris experience was one that I'm so thankful for. That was better than Texas Roadhouse. But every time you do something like that, you think to yourself, man, You buy these $100 shoes and you think, man, I could have got two $50 shoes should you have done that. There's always going to be, uh, there's always going to be that sort of thought in your mind. But these guys in their self-righteousness act like they use all of their money all the time for for the poor. There's always going to be critics with a better opinion. I remember when we got our parking lot paved, which was an absolute must. I had so many people saying, man, for that much, we could have done this and we could have done that and we could have done this. Got our new playground out there, and I've heard people say, man, for that much, we could have done this, and we could have done that, and we could have done this. And there's always going to be people that have their opinions on better ways to spend their money, and 
We'll let people do better ways at spending their own money. In our passage here today, the same thing happens. This lady's got her own nard. It's her own ointment. I don't know how she got it. Maybe she worked. Who knows? Maybe she had many more jars of this at home. But they tell us it is very, very costly, 300 denarii. I want to remind you that a denarius is a day's wage. A denarius is what you make work in one day. We know that. It says it a lot in the Bible. We know that. History tells us that. So if you make $10 an hour and you work an eight-hour day, we're talking 80 bucks, 300 of these, it says. Well, if you get two days off a week and work five days a week, let's just say 50, 52 weeks times five days, that's what, 250, 200, 260 working days a year. So what we're talking about here is 300 working days. We're talking about a year's salary or more. I don't know what y'all make a year. You make 25000 50000 $100,000. I don't know how much y'all make a year or what your income is, but we're talking about something very costly. Mark is accurate when he says very costly here. This is 300 denarii. This is your yearly income now. So when you heard very costly, you probably thought 100 bucks. No, no, no. This is much more than 100 bucks. This is much more than 1,000 bucks. This is much more than $10,000. This is a lot. 300 denarii. And she comes and sees the Lord Jesus and gladly pours it out on him. Others were upset about it. They're like, What? So many other things that we could have done with this. We could have been to Taco Bell a million times, Texas Roadhouse 500, or Ruth Chris once or twice for this much. Or we could have spent it on the poor, which is a good desire. Look what it says. It says they scalded her. Now, I want to remind you, she didn't just waste an ointment. She poured an ointment on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they scalded her. You're already starting to see their failure to grasp who he is. When they scalded her, Jesus speaks up and says, leave her alone. Man, I love, there there are some, there aren't a lot, I love the passages when Jesus comes to people's defense. Actually, I like any scene when somebody bigger comes to the defense of somebody smaller. Don't you? Don't you like that? Isn't that what makes movies great when the bad guys are winning and finally here comes the hero and sets it straight? Can you imagine all of these powerful, uppity, successful, wealthy, religious people telling this unnamed outsider woman, I know so many bigger, better, more godly things you could be doing with your money. There's a whole world of poor people out there that you could have been doing this with. And she right there in all of her devotion focused on the Lord. They're scalding her and Jesus, albeit with wet, smelling good hair, says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her, he says, meaning, what's the problem here? 
What don't you understand? What bothers, what bothers you about what she's done? What are you missing? What are you, what are you lacking here? She's done a beautiful thing to me. And it's at that point, y'all, where we see the great, the great divide, the great conflict here in this passage. What they thought was wasteful, Jesus thought was beautiful. What they thought was a bad thing, Jesus said was a good thing. What they thought was wrong, Jesus said was so right. She's done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. Now, let me stop right there and say, it's bad hermeneutics. It's bad understanding, bad interpretation. If you want to take this passage and act like Jesus doesn't love the poor, you don't do that, okay? Don't ever take this passage and act like Jesus isn't about the poor. He's all about the poor. Spent time with the, with the poor, loved on the poor, hung out with the poor, healed the poor, gave to the poor, Loved it. Remember just a few, one chapter back, he was sitting outside and the rich people kept putting in their money and he sees a little poor widow put in two coins that equaled one penny and Jesus said, now that, that's impressive. Jesus was always talking about the poor. The poor are, are, are good, the poor are a blessing. Jesus teaches us to love and give to the poor. He says it all the time. This is not the place, this is not the passage for you to get everything out of sorts and go in the wrong direction and, and give some bad explanation of the Bible and say that Jesus isn't about the poor. Jesus is totally about the poor. The whole Bible is about teaching us how to love and serve and give and sacrifice for the poor. This is about Jesus and his worth and this is about a lady, uh, an unnamed lady understanding his worth. Verse seven says, you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good for them but you will not always have me you will not always have me this lady had an opportunity to be in the presence of God and to demonstrate how valuable he was to her and so a year's worth in one alabaster flask an ointment of pure nard is hardly a waste. He is that worthy. And I want to ask you here today, is Jesus worthy to you? Is Jesus worthy? I remember in the end of the Bible in Revelation where they are singing in heaven, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy. Well, when something is worthy, it means it has worth. You're ascribing the worth to it. How much is it worth? And that's our problem. That, that's what we always differ on. One person would, would honestly rather go to Taco Bell four times than Texas Roadhouse once. Some people would. It just, it just depends on what's it worth to you. What, what's worth more, the experience or the quality of the food or how many times you get to eat? But we're not talking about foods. We're talking about God. 
And the only way for you and I to be saved is for us to understand the full value and worth of God. The only way for us to make it to the kingdom of heaven is to love the king of the kingdom of heaven. The only way for us to leave our sins is to understand how much value there is in turning to the one who died for our sins. I'm gonna give you three points here today before we look to the end of the passage. No matter where, Jesus is worthy. No matter what, Jesus is worthy. And no matter who, Jesus is worthy. No matter where, no matter what, no matter who, Jesus is worthy. No matter where. What a, what a unique setting. At the, in the home of Simon the leper, there in Bethany, albeit close to the Passover, Jesus reclining at table. It doesn't seem the setting, right? I mean, all of us are somewhat a little bit uncomfortable when we're at a guest's house. We're much more relaxed in our own home, aren't we? Absolutely we are. Somebody asks you out to dinner and you go eat with them, you're, you're a little bit nervous. You're not even sure how much you should uh, order. You're not sure if you should order the most expensive thing on the menu. You're not sure if you should go cheap. You, you're a little bit nervous uh, in a setting like that. You're not sure. And yet here it is at Simon the leper's house. Jesus is there and this woman comes in. Now, in the other passage, especially one where it's talking about the Pharisee's house, the, the one in Luke, it's, it says that a, that a stranger lady just comes in. It's a weird picture. We can't even really picture that. We can't, we can't hardly think of being at dinner at somebody's house and, and somebody else coming in. And it doesn't say all of that here at Mark, but it does say, as he was reclining at table, a woman came in. It's interesting. And she's coming in because she knows that in there at that table, reclining, having dinner with Simon the leper is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize that it may have been odd, it may have been awkward. Did she ring the doorbell? Did she knock? Did they invite her in? Was she supposed to be there? I don't know. But what I want you to see is that no matter where you are, Christ is Lord. Do you remember the awesome words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the fiery furnace? Do you remember when they were supposed to uh, repent and they could, they could get out and the fire wouldn't be turned on and all of that? And they said, well, we just want to tell you, we want you to know that, that our God is able to save us from this fire. He, he, he can keep you from hurting us. But he may not, and even if he doesn't, we're fine to stay here and burn and die than rather submit to you and your ungodly ways. We are going to stay faithful to God. No matter where you are, if God is your God, your Father in heaven, if Christ is your Lord, then all of the circumstances or uncertainties or awkwardness or whatever, all of that, listen to me, all of that doesn't matter. Christ is worthy. 
I can't tell you how many times in my life, whether it had been a high school party or a college dorm room or hanging out with the sports teams that I've been on where everybody else gets caught up in, in drinking and everybody else gets caught up in acting and everybody else gets caught up in foul mouth and telling stories and all of that. And it's awkward as can be. It's not cool as can be. Nobody thinks that you're the man anymore or whatever when you kind of distance yourself from that. But listen, no matter where you are, Christ is worthy. And if Christ is going to be Lord of my life, it means that I don't want to be involved in those things. It's so inconsistent for us to be here on a Sunday with Christ is worthy if he's not worthy tonight at your dinner table. And I want you to see that it seems that this lady is out of place. There is no out of place for the worth of God. In the same book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel was this awesome guy that prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And his reputation was that he was a praying man. Well, the king ends up making this ridiculous law that even the king regretted. And the king says, nobody can pray to God. You have to pray to the king. And now all of a sudden, the the king's rule is against Daniel. Now all of a sudden, the the law of the land is against Daniel. Now all of a sudden, what Daniel was free and easy to do now is going to be an awkward spot. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to be thrown to the lion's den and die if you do what you've always done. Daniel had been a prayer for a long time. And the law had just changed, and so he was not able to pray to God anymore according to the good laws of the land that the king had made. But guess what? If God is worthy, if Christ is worthy, it doesn't matter where you are. And so guess what we see in the life of Daniel? Doesn't matter what the king said. Doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what the punishment is. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. God was worthy to Daniel, so Daniel went forward living like God was worthy to him. Well, let everybody else sort out what they're going to do with me. I'm living for the glory of God. And I realize that everybody's got their opinion on this lady and her year's worth poured out in somebody's hair of all places. But you know what she knows? In God's sight, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Worthy is my God. No matter where you are, Christ is worthy. No matter where you are, Christ is worthy. No matter what you're doing, Christ is worthy. No matter where, no matter what. Now let's think about this again. I've already explained a lot of it, but I want to revisit it. Ointment, 300 denarii, worth a lot. Lots of other things that it could have been used for. The poor in mind in this passage. But there's something that reigns above it. The worth of Christ. No matter what, Christ is worthy. I want you to look down now at verse 8. I want you to see what Jesus says about her. She has done what she could. We often place very little emphasis on our good works and 
and the effectiveness of them knowing that our good works don't get us anywhere. Yet once we understand salvation, meaning that the root of our salvation is God changing our hearts and giving us grace and, 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 and giving us faith and our believing in Christ, the Bible teaches us that the root of salvation then produces fruit. So we, we do good works not because they get us anything, but rather because we already have everything. And so then we have categories or we have places where we can understand good works. We are to be a people that are uh, doing good works and that are obedient and who are trying to do all that we can do for the glory of God. And, and in this passage, you have Jesus saying that she did what she could. I want to ask you here today, are you doing what you can for the glory of God? Are you doing what you can for the good of your family and for the the good of your church? Are you doing what you can for the, for the good of your city? Are you doing what you can? What a fascinating thought that Jesus says she's done what she could. It seems to us that this, I've, I've, I'm doing what I can, is this pathetic excuse that I hear from so many people who really aren't doing what they can, but they love to say they're doing what they can. I recently read an article about uh, a trainer at one of the high-profile universities around here, and he was talking about it, it's always fun to have freshmen come into college because they don't understand how strong their bodies are. They don't understand how far that they can be pushed. And he was saying that once we get them running and lifting and exercising and whatever, they can always go so much further than they can. And he said, that, he said this, he said, you'll hear people say, I, I, can't, I can't do any more. And he'll say, just wait, you're about to do a lot more. Your body can do so much more. And we seem to be those who want to say, I'm, I, I'm doing what I can. And when in reality, I don't know if we are doing what we can for God. But Jesus, about this girl, she has done what she could. No matter what you're doing, Christ is worthy. But still, along these lines on the no matter what, I want to remind you in, in, in this setting of, of, of just how awkward it became because of everybody else. It says that they were indignant. It said that they were scalding her. It said that they were questioning, why did you waste it? It said that this could have been used for, for other reasons. And I want to remind you that when you, listen to me, when you take a stance and you decide that I'm gonna live for God, I'm gonna try to obey, I want to be holy, there are going to be things that I'm doing for God and there are gonna be things that I'm no longer doing because I'm living for God. There are things you do and things that you don't do when your eyes are set on Christ. There are places you go and places you don't go, and this is what it means to live for Jesus, but I want to remind you that as soon as you really do start to live a life for the glory of God that understands his worth, you will immediately start getting everybody in the world's opinion. You'll have everybody saying, well, you sh shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. People love to say, well, you could be doing this. People love to say, well, you could have been spending that money somewhere else. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the big churches that are around here, the big churches, I hear so many people saying, well, they've got all this money, they could be doing that. When we don't know what they're doing with their money. 
It's just easy to be critical of something if you don't understand. And I want to encourage you here this morning, like this lady, they were saying that was a waste. They were saying you could have done this. They were telling her how wrong she was in her devotion to the Lord Jesus, and yet she was okay to pour out something worth a year's worth of work, 300 denarii, because she understood the worth of Jesus. J.C. Ryle, speaking about this, says, if a man once understands the sinfulness of sin and the mercy of Christ in dying for him, He will never think anything is too good or anything is too costly to give to Christ. There is no sacrifice too big for those of us who understand that God sacrificed his son. The reality in this passage is just 300 denarii. We're talking about God. We're talking about Jesus Christ who's about to give himself up for this lady. He's about to give his life for her. 300 300 denarii is nothing. Let me remind you, as I did at the beginning, there's coming a day where if it had been three billion, it wouldn't have mattered. There's coming a day where she's gonna stand face to face with her maker, with this Christ, and no amount of money is gonna matter. It's all going to go. It's all going to not make any sense. I want you to hear today that no matter what the conversation, no matter what the cost, no matter what the situation, Christ is worthy. And he came to her defense here, which is so much better. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. No matter where Christ is worthy, no matter what Christ is worthy. But then lastly, no matter who, no matter who. I told you this is an odd spot for us to have this story in chapter 14. Look at the first two verses. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Verses one and two brings in many characters, chief priests who are leaders of the religious Jewish people. These are the people who, who knew most about God and, and the scribes. These are the ones who most understood the word of God. They're the ones who wrote. They're the ones who, who had the rules. They're the ones who had the understanding of, of what it teaches. And he's brought all this in. And these people, remember from their perspective, are trying to do away with Jesus. They're trying to kill him. And you know that's a bad thing. But they're trying to kill Jesus because they see him as a problem to their religion, as a problem to their love for God. Well, skip past our verses three through nine, three through nine, and now look at verse 10. Look who we have here. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, a disciple, an apostle. Man, this guy knows Jesus through and through. This guy has spent so much time with Jesus. For the last three years, he's been one of those with Jesus all the time. And he was one of the 12, and he went to the chief priests. You see what Mark's doing here? Mark's showing us chief priests, 
that don't get that Christ is worthy. He's showing us scribes that so know the word of God and they don't get that Christ is worthy. He's showing us an apostle. You can't get more involved, included, close to Christ than being one of the 12. He was hand-selected by Jesus to follow him day and night for Jesus' whole life. The chief priests, the scribes, an apostle. And he's showing us that those, those people don't get that Christ is worthy. But who does? Not an insider, an outsider. Not a man, a woman. An unnamed lady that just ends up in the house bringing something of great value. And she pours it on his head. Not the significant in the text, but the insignificant. Not the ones who have done all of this for God, but rather the one that we don't know anything about her. Not the ones who have a big resume of obedience, necessarily, but the one that we don't know anything about. No matter who you are, Christ is worthy. Church, listen to me. There is no birthright to being qualified to be a child of God. God plays no favorites. Anybody can know the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody can believe in Jesus. Christ died for the ungodly And if you are an ungodly sinner, then you are qualified to understand his worth. And God loves us. And in so loving us, he sent this Christ to die for us. This is where the passage gets really, really good. Look at verse eight. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. You know what was so intently on Jesus' mind even now? I'm headed to the cross. I'm going to die. Now it is hard to tell whether this woman is fully grasping that this oil is a, a, a preparation for burial. But Jesus tells us there, she has anointed him for burial. We see this throughout, and Josh Womble reminded us this, this past week, that it's the right moment. Jesus is headed to the cross. You understand, listen to me, the worth of Christ when you understand he died for you. You understand the worth of Christ when you understand he had to die for you. You understand the worth of Christ when you understand that he had to die for you because you are so bad. Christ died for our sins. 
And when you understand that Christ died for your sins, there is no price tag on how valuable he is. To remain in our sins means that we are condemned. We are condemned in our sins. The Bible teaches us that. And to understand that there is one, only one way out, and it is through the work of Christ, is to place a price tag on price on, on, on the Lord Jesus Christ that will never, ever, 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 ever be explained. Christ is worthy. And so in verse nine he says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And as you hear that, you start thinking, well, I don't know about that. I I haven't heard that. I've never told that story before. I've never told that story to somebody. I've never really read this, but I want to remind you that this single story has been preserved in the word of God. And everywhere that there are preachers of the gospel and uh, uh, children of God that love his word, her story is told. Because of our commitment to the word of God, her story has been told here. But here's the significance of, of her story. That in the midst of Christ going to the cross, moments before his death, she took something of great value and poured it out on him. Church, I want to ask you here today, is Christ worthy to you? No matter where you are, is Christ worthy to you? No matter what you're doing or no matter what they're doing, is Christ worthy to you? And no matter who it is, is Christ worthy to you? Does your heart believe, does your heart feel the value of the Lord Jesus Christ? And may we be a church, may we be a church that understands he is worth it. He is worth it. If you're here today and Christ is not everything to you, would you believe on him? Would you turn to him today and be saved? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this story of this lady. Thank you for the the picture of a sacrifice and Christ being worth so much. Oh, Father, I pray that in our hearts we would understand his worth. Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.